You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Bibles turn to Revelation 21. In just a moment, we'll get to our study today. We have a few weeks left in our series. We've been looking at bite-sized spirituality and just little studies. We've talked about God and Satan. We've talked about demons and angels. We've talked about um, hell a few weeks ago, and today we'll be looking at the next in our series. But just a couple of things to note before we get to our text today. One would be, uh, it's good to see everybody. Uh, it was amazing to me last week. It was our anniversary Sunday. We had a lot of folks out, either out of town or ill, and so glad to have uh, several of you back that weren't with us last weekend. We had a great weekend together, but we missed you. And if you're a part of our church family here, you'll notice the banners that I have behind you are for our 12th anniversary that we celebrated last week. If you've yet to do it and you would like to, uh, we invited uh, you to put a word, one word to encapsulate what North Life Baptist Church has meant in your life, what God has done in your life through our church. Uh, and then a verse, if you want to do that, you can do one or the other, and then just sign your name. We're going to keep these banners we may, uh, at our 50th anniversary or something else, roll those puppies back out and take a look at them. And some of us will be with the Lord, I'm sure, at that point, but uh, it just gives us kind of something for posterity's sake. And so uh, there are markers, there's baskets behind the monitors on the stage here. If you want to come up afterwards and uh, put your name and uh, a verse and a word on there, that'd be a great uh, blessing to others. So I invite you to do that afterwards. And then the second thing is a week from tonight, we're hosting off-site at uh, Schmidt Hall, which is an Orr Park in Orrville, uh, what we're calling Fall Night of Worship. And our worship uh, team here, our ensemble, our, our instrumentalists, and then a lot of our church family, we're going to be meeting over there for a service off-site. And it's meant to be an outreach uh, of our church. Uh, we, we have some friends maybe here even today from Orville, but uh, that's an area that we really haven't done a lot of outreach into or extended an invitation to. So we've been hanging door knockers on everybody's door. We're doing Facebook ads right now, promoting that event. want to invite you to be here for that or not here, be there. If you need directions or details, let us know. Call the office. But can I encourage you to come that night, whether you normally come to our Sunday night service or not, um, and bring someone with you. It'll be mainly singing. We'll read some psalms together, and then I'll be presenting uh, the plan of salvation through a psalm uh, and just giving an invitation and a call to Christ. And so it's kind of a low threshold where maybe folks that wouldn't come to a service like this, like us radicals that are here today, but at least seeking God, and God is seeking them, and I think it's just a good kind of first step in that direction. So we invite you to be a part of that, first yourself and your family, and then invite someone to come with you. Uh, that's next Sunday night, October the 17th at 5.30. All right, Romans, or Revelation chapter 21, let's look, if you will, at verse 1, down through verse 3. We'll look at a few other uh, verses in this chapter in a moment, but let's read these first few verses and ask the Lord to bless our study. Verse 1, and John says this, I saw a new heaven... In a new earth, for the first heaven, the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And we were joking this morning in our small group. Somebody said, as long as there's a beach, I'm happy. And I said, I don't know, there's no sea, so maybe there's a beach along the river of life or maybe some pond, but there's, there's no sea. That's interesting for those of you hoping for that someday. Verse 2, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 3, one of the best verses, glorious verses in Scripture. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. So we're looking at today heaven. And as much as two weeks ago we studied on the dark aspects of hell and its realities, doesn't that almost make the study today more special? I know it does for me. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us today. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for these friends. Thank you for these folks from our community you've gathered today for this divine appointment. Whatever has led us and prompted us to be here this morning, uh, we choose to rejoice in it and to lean into what you want to do in this moment we share together. Thank you for these anthems of the faith, these newer songs and older songs that all point us to the truth of your word and ultimately to the heaven that awaits us who know you as Savior. And pray, Father, now as we study your word that you would help us to revel in and to glory in and to 
be moved deeply by the realities of this place that currently is inhabited by those that have preceded us, that have gone before us, that knew you as Savior, and Lord, the place that someday we will soon shortly be in ourselves. Thank you for that. Pray that you would help it to make a dent and a difference in the here and now, that Lord, we would live in light of it, not just when we enter it, but today, and that we would be good stewards with the revelation that you've so lovingly preserved for us to interact with and to be inspired by this morning. Bless this study, be honored in each word, each syllable, each thought that is shared, and may we each leave living it out practically as you prompt us. And we'll thank you and praise you for it in Christ's name, amen. Uh, when you think of heaven, I don't know what comes to your mind, we use that word, this is like heaven, whatever it is. The other day a pastor friend of mine posted this picture, I don't know where he was going, but he was traveling somewhere and he saw this picture and then here was his question, and he wasn't being ir- dis, you know, irreverent, he was just tongue-in-cheek saying, is this what Jesus meant when he said, I go to prepare a place for you? Is this the place? And I, I responded back, my only issue, do you notice an issue with it? The hot light's not on. If, if the hot light were on, then this is heaven, okay? Chick-fil-A and Krispy Kreme, it's all in one place, and this might be uh, the place. Can we talk for a few minutes today about this place that God has promised us, a place called heaven. Now, may I say as we begin today, trying to get our heads and hearts around what heaven is on only our own will lead us into empty sentimentality, personal preferences, and thoughts and emotions. We need God's help to understand and to live in light of the place where currently He is. Be kind of like you telling me about where I grew up or where I'm from. I know where I'm from. I know where I grew up, and the same is true of you. And so we got to let God be the one to tell us about his place, the place that someday will be our place as well. The other day I heard an author who said this, some believers are so pessimistic, you would think the throne today was empty, the tomb was sealed, and Jesus was not returning. Believer, Jesus is enthroned, the tomb is empty, and Jesus is returning. We should have hope today. We should be optimistic in the sense of and within the framework of Scripture. And so may we today draw great hope from these promises. The question is this today, in a day of heaven sounding too good to be true, how do we grow in our accurate anticipation of it? So let's talk about today three characteristics of heaven. Our outline is there in the bulletin if you want to follow along. Number one, let's talk for a few minutes, first of all, about the fact, oh, they already got there. We'll get to that picture in just a second. Heaven, number one, is geographical in nature. The first characteristic of heaven is that it is a geographical place. Um, The other day I heard someone who said this. I thought this was a good challenge to my own thinking about heaven because if I were to ask you, where is heaven today? Uh, If we're not careful, we don't believe that it's in a literal place. Uh, the author said this, I'm encouraging every Christian to write heaven with a capital letter because it's in a real place as much as Houston is. Is heaven in your mind with a capital H? Um, I just want to remind you today, heaven is not just a word in this book to make it a little more positive or inspiring or a little more upbeat. It's not just a word in this book. It's a place. And it's a place that one day you and I, with the grace of God on our behalf, we can inhabit. And so let's talk about today this place that Jesus says in John 14, I go to prepare what? A place for you. A real place with all that's involved in that. Let's talk about a couple of things underneath of that, not on, your, in the, on the slides, but there in your notes. First of all, let's talk about levels of heaven. We have to define our terms and do so as uh, defined in Scripture. Let's talk about three levels of heaven. The word heaven is used throughout Scripture, and it's used to refer to different places. If heaven is a real place, then we have to define what place is God referring to when he promises us a place in his heaven. And the way to understand the word heaven in Scripture, like any word in Scripture, is the context. So what's around that word heaven that helps us understand which Uh, level or portion, if you will, of heaven God is referring to. Let's talk about three of them quickly. Number one, there is the first heaven, and this would be a reference to the atmosphere, the the space between the ozone layer and and terra firma or earth, uh, that atmospheric uh, element of our existence and of of space uh, is referred to repeatedly in scripture as the first heaven. 
The Hebrew word for heaven and its Greek equivalent, or the word that we would find in the New Testament, most often mean the atmosphere. So when you read the word heavens, for example, or heaven in Genesis chapter 1, uh, and in multitude of other places, it is referring to the atmosphere that is directly above us. Uh, Genesis 1.8 would be an example, Exodus 20 and verse 11, and there is a, a deluge, there is a plethora, there's a, a, a huge list of verses that refer to heaven as the atmosphere above us. Secondly, number two, there is the second heaven. This would be a reference to the universe or to outer space, that which is beyond our immediate atmosphere, the universe or outer space. The first verse of the Bible records God's creation of the universe and Genesis chapter 11 and verse 4 refer to the heaven as a place where the sun, the moon, and the stars, and even the galaxies are located. So that is the second heaven. And we see that referenced again throughout Scripture. And then, number three, the third heaven, which is what we are going to study about today for a few moments, is the place of God's abode. In the Old Testament, this third heaven is often referred to as the heaven of heavens. You'll see that being kind of the Hebrew expression to indicate to us that it's a reference to the third heaven. Deuteronomy 10, 14, 1 Kings 8, 2 Chronicles 2, Nehemiah 9, Psalm 148, and the list goes on of, of that term, heaven of heavens. Paul often calls this third heaven paradise, once he does in 2 Corinthians 12 and multitude of other passages. In fact, Paul says he was caught up into the third heaven, Right? And he saw a vision. John's able to articulate part of it, but Paul says, I, I can't even put into words the, the profound things that I saw when I uh, was translated or when I saw in a vision this third heaven. So those would be the three levels. We're not today going to talk about our atmosphere and the threats to it. We're not, talk about, we're not going to talk about space travel. We're talking about the third heaven and, and what our place in that is in relation to God. All right, number two, let's talk about for a few moments the location of heaven. Go back, if you will, to our text, to chapter 21 of Revelation. Let's go down to verse 15. All right, so let's talk about where this third heaven is and what it looks like. What are the, the literal, tangible uh, measurements and, and, and takeaways, if you will, of this place that God gives us a peek into? Revelation 21, look, if you will, at verse 15. And he that talked with me... This one who is giving John a tour of the heavenly city. He that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, if you can visualize cubic kind of measurements. And the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. Um, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And so the dimension given of one portion can be applied to all three. All right, number one, first of all, jot down this. Let's talk about the sizes of location, the size or the scale of this heaven. And we've read those verses in Revelation 21, verse 15 and 16. The New Jerusalem, which is the heavenly city described here in Revelation 21, is described as being four square. That is 12,000 furlongs. And furlongs would, been, would have been an ancient measurement of, of how, how, how far of a row, a, a, if you will, a furrow, um, the distance that a team of oxen could plow without resting. That was the distance that standardized became known as furlongs. And it says that they were, it is 12,000 furlongs in each uh, direction. 12,000 furlongs long, 12,000 furlongs wide, and 12,000 furlongs high. Translate into our present dimension, that would be almost 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, and 1,500 miles high. And I have, that, that's weird to think about. How can a city be a cube? Um, I would just remind you again that we're not limited to our finite brains. Let's just start there with our study today. But it's, it's likely, and this would be kind of where I've reconciled it, and maybe you have a different take on this, but at least my thought would be it, it, may, have been, it may be almost more of like a pyramid where it ascends up to the throne of God, and so it does have height to it, but it also has proportions this way and proportions this way. Uh, the one illustration, I got ahead of myself a minute ago, and sorry, this side for some reason has faded out a little bit more. 
But this gives you a reference of those dimensions in relation to our country. So that's what it would encapsulate, the 1,500 miles one way and 1,500 miles. That would be the, the footprint of this city. That gives you a size. And what I like about this illustration is that it, get, it puts it into our space. It, it helps us to be able to get a hold of it mentally. That, that's the, the footprint of this city. It is a city of great scale, one singular city in that in that is the city of Chicago, right? All of our great cities, um, all of them and all the land between them is encapsulated within this one glorious city uh, called the heavenly city. All right, let's talk about secondly, go back to chapter 21, if you will, verse 1. So the sizes of its location, we see the size given in verse 15 and 16. Back at the beginning of this chapter, notice what it says. In verse number 2, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Number 2, let's talk about the specifics of location. So the size, we talked about that. Number 2, let's talk about the specifics of where heaven is. And if I were to ask you today, where is heaven right now? Where is it? And number two, where is it as described in Revelation 21? And one of the greatest misunderstandings about heaven, to be very direct with you today, is the location of it in the long term. And it's funny because we have Revelation 21 and we just kind of skip over verse 2 because it doesn't quite make sense. How's it coming? Heaven's coming down from heaven to us. And some of the language here can be a bit confusing uh, or even maybe disconcerting. But clearly here in Revelation 21, the passage is teaching and indicating that God's central dwelling place, heaven, is on earth. We see clearly that being alluded to here in verse number 2. If heaven is by definition where God's dwelling place is, and the dwelling place of God is on earth, then heaven literally ends up being on earth. Not discounting where God is today and the heavenly attributes that we see in Scripture But all that we're going to read today in Revelation 21 and 22 are not in some galaxy somewhere far away. They're in a remade, a refashioned earth. Uh, And so be very careful in how you read uh, the end of Revelation. Many don't realize that the present pre-resurrection heaven and the future post-resurrection heaven are located in different places. And we see that, John clearly sees that here in this vision. Though the exact location of the present heaven is unknown, we are told where the future heaven will be located. It will be on the new earth. Now, you may say, Pastor, that seems like a downer. So you're saying heaven is not in some far-off galaxy. It's actually going to be even right here, at least where Worcester currently is. This will be a part and in some way in concert with uh, the eternal dwelling of God. Can I tell you, I don't think it decreases, but increases our appreciation of heaven. Here's why. Number one, does it not testify to the the commitment of God, the tenacity of God with how badly we've messed up this planet to remake it and to restore, listen to me, to a better status than what he started with in the Garden of Eden? There are things that are part of the new earth that were not a part of the original earth. It's taken to a new level, and so it, it testifies of and increases our appreciation of God's faithfulness to man. Number two, I think it also brings heaven closer. It makes the teaching, it makes the doctrine, it takes the applications of heaven and brings them closer to me, where I live and and how I need to live in light of God's truth. And so the spirit, as it would have been in the heart of Peter, we just studied 1 Peter through the summer, and the early Christians in 2 Peter 3 and verse number 13 where he says that we are to live according to his promise, looking for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. That's what we're yearning for. That's what we're looking for. I was reading the other day an author who said this, Do I as a Christian understand myself? Do I know my own real identity, my own real destiny? And then he gave this practical way to live that out as a uh, heaven-destined believer. I am a child of God. God is my Father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My Savior is my brother. Every Christian is my brother too. And then he gave this admonition. Say it over and over again to yourself. First thing in the morning. Last thing at night. As you wait for the bus. Anytime when your mind is free. 
and ask God that you may be enabled to live as one who knows it all utterly and completely to be true. For this is the Christian secret of the Christian life, a God-honoring life. And here's my question to you is this, are we living practically in light of heaven? Is it real to us today? Is it relevant to where we live even this morning? I hear a lot of references that talks about heaven to clouds. It's in the clouds, and there's kind of this abstract um, kind of um, mystical view or even questionable view of heaven. God revealed heaven to us. We have these verses, right? If God gave it to us this morning, then that means he wants us to live in light of it, not just someday, but today. Are we living in light of this heavenly abode, this place that God is preparing for us? And I'll just say this and we'll move on. The place you're sitting right now that your, your physical body is occupying, heaven is as real as that, that place. That chair you're sitting in, the oxygen you're breathing in, it's as real as the place you're at this morning. And it'll be as real as the place you occupy tomorrow, occupy tomorrow and the next day. Live in light of a heaven that has a geographical place. All right, number two. Second, let's talk about the activities of heaven. So heaven is a geographical place. Number two, it is an active place. Um, a couple weekends ago, I guess this has been a week ago Saturday, um, Landon and I, we just nerded out for a bit, I have to be honest with you. Uh, Landon, my youngest, and I, we both love to read. And uh, I don't, I've talked about this before, but have you ever had someone while you're reading a book, they think you're not doing anything, you're trying to have a conversation, you're like, I'm reading, okay? Like, I'm doing something. Some of you, you think reading is like just pointless, it's, it's vain, it's, 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 it's a waste of time. Anyway, so yeah, so uh, anyway, Lane and I, we went to the fairgrounds last, a week ago yesterday, and they had just books everywhere. Have any of you been to that book sale? I forget, the Lion, I think it's the Lions Club puts it on, and it's the last day. And for five bucks, you can take a big old brown paper Bueller's bag and just load it up. And for five bucks, and it was just like, it was like heaven for Lan and I. I mean, we were just like living it up, you know, selecting books from, you know, the Crimean War and books about some random historical figure. And just, I mean, it was awesome. And I, I have, I won't be bored all winter now. I mean, I'm loaded up. But it was, it was nerdy. Some of you, I know, you're a bit more action oriented, okay? Action films, you like to watch sports, you like to do sports or do but just sitting and reading. Can I just tell you today, heaven is not just uh, this dry, boring narrative where it's just kind of we're just strumming on harps as we float on clouds. It, it's a very active place. What are some things that are going on in heaven that you and I need to be preparing for and anticipating uh, until that moment? It will be a bustling, busy city, busy about what God uh, alludes to in the text. All right, go back to chapter 14 for just a moment. Let's talk about a few activities that you and I can begin to warm up for, if you will, the activities or actions of heaven. And again, all of this is only possible because of what Christ has done for us, right? Our faith in the action of Christ. It's not what we do, but what has been done through the finished work of Christ that we have access to this place of activity. Revelation 14, verse 13 and I heard a voice from heaven, John says, saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead, which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, notice this, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Let's talk about a few activities. Number one, active rest. Active rest. I don't know if you view rest as something to work at, but it is. To do rest properly is not just checking out it's entering into God's rest. It's, it's being intentional in our stewardship of rest. And heaven will be a place of uh, profound rest, to say the least. Heaven is the completion of our pilgrimage. We're home. Some of you tired of just traveling and trying to keep one foot moving in front of the other. There's an end to this journey. You do know that, right? There's a rest that comes no matter how wearisome and a grind it is to lift the foot and take the next step. Eventually, we're just home. There's rest. I have a chair. If I can just get to that chair by the time the day's done, I can rest. I can prop up my feet and I just rest. It's home. That's heaven someday for us. No matter how weary your path and journey is today, someday the pilgrimage is over. The end of all struggle against the flesh, the world, the devil. There will still be work to do. I will concede that this morning. We'll get to that more in just a moment. But it will not involve the opposition that we deal with today. 
um, the context here is the tribulation saint. Someday, saints of God will no longer have to do God's will with pushback and with friction of their own flesh and the flesh of others. It's, it's free to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. What a glorious thing to anticipate. And so if you're tired today, may I encourage you to remind, remind yourself, someday I will have the rest I so crave. Not just physically, but on a soul level way, God has promised us that. All right, go to chapter 19. And we'll move quickly through these today. I wish we had more time, but giving you at least a thumbnail sketch, an overview of each of these. Chapter 19 and verse 1, notice this. It says, And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation, glory, and honor, and power in the Lord our God. Verse 3, and again they said, Alleluia. Uh, verse 4, the four and twenty elders, four beasts, fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Alleluia, Amen, Alleluia. The voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage supper of the Lamb is come, and her wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Number two, there's active worship, active rest. Number two, active worship. And from every sketch we can see, every little preview we have of heaven, we always see woven into it, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, as soon as you pull back the curtain of heaven, you see that the inhabitants of that place regularly praise and worship God. And so why would we think there would be any change in the narrative? Why would we think there would be any shift in the priorities of heaven when we someday inhabit it ourselves. And so we believe that the redeemed will be engaged in similar activities. In this sense, believers will continue, think about this, the activity that they engage with on earth. I don't know if you've thought about what's going to be different in heaven, but what we just did here is just a little, just a little scratch foretaste of what we're going to do forever. And if you don't like worship, I'm sorry, you're going you're gonna to really have a whiplash here shortly when you realize that much of what heaven is, is worship of the Lamb. And so our worship now needs to be viewed through this lens. It is preparatory. It is something to enter into and to employ our hearts and voices in as we prepare for that moment. And I'll just say this and we'll move on. If you were to ask me what bothers you as a pastor, um, and I'm kind of glad I don't stand up here while we sing. I'm not picking on anybody today, but and some of us have days we can sing better and freer than others physically or otherwise. Some of you have been battling things that hinder that, so I'm not passing judgment, but if we cannot sing, brethren, we're out of step with the priorities of our God and of heaven, and I read this the other day, an author said this, a seasoned pastor, he said, I can safely say on the authority of God's revealed word that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. You're not ready, and I'm not ready. It is a central component. Men sing, Ladies sing, young people sing, prepare, let heaven come to earth through that preparation that God is doing in our hearts. And so worship is an active thing. And we will never tire of it and we'll say, let's do the, even the third verse of the hymn that we skip or whatever. The things that we tend to maybe fudge and shave the corners, we'll say, let's just let's do it all. Let, let, it, he's worthy, he's worthy, he's worthy, active in worship. All right, go to chapter 22. And again, we're just bouncing around these things that are activities of heaven. We see reference. Look at the end of verse 3. We'll come back to the verses if we have time in just a moment that precede it, the phrases that precede it. But notice it says, the throne of God and lamb shall be in it. Notice, and his servant shall serve him. Verse 5, there shall be no night there, no candle, neither light of sun. The end of the verse, and they shall reign forever and ever. Thirdly, there's active service active service. I mentioned the cloud thing a minute ago. Us sitting on or laying on a cloud playing a harp is not only not in scripture, you do know that, right? And I'm glad for that. I like harps, but I don't think I want to do that for the rest of eternity, okay? Um, and some of you probably wouldn't want me, even a glorified body, to do a harp for the rest of eternity. Not only is it not in scripture, listen to me, it is contrary to scripture. We will be actively serving God. And in a way that, I mean, I, like I got up today and I think my mindset was I'm doing this as unto the Lord. But can you imagine there is the Lord? 
I'm serving him in a tangible way, in a direct way. There's a link to that that doesn't need the aid of the Spirit in the way we do now or the Word of God, though those will still be present in a part of it. But there is direct access to God. I will serve him for eternity. The difference will be there will be an enjoyment to it that isn't in the present. I'll be honest with you. Pastoring is a grind. Doing the Christian life, it's a grind, isn't it? It's discouraging. It's frustrating. It's overwhelming. It's taxing. There's coming a day where the curse is lifted. The labor is only pleasurable. And I think there'll be things even we're able to do in service that we can't in the present tense, either just because we're in a fallen condition or an ability or a a potential that we will have in this setting that we do not have in the here and now. And so there will be active service. We will be busy, we will be busy, we will be busy, and we won't want it any other way. It will be a glorious thing to be active in the service of the king. All right, go to Hebrews for a moment too as well, if you will. Hebrews chapter 12, and look if you will at verse 22. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22. And here we have tucked into the middle of this um, enigma of Hebrews as it is in some ways. We don't know for sure the human author of the book of Hebrews, and it, it, it has some tough passages in it. But in the middle of all of that, it gives us a a preview of eternity, beginning in verse 22 of Hebrews chapter 12. The year come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which, were, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the, sprinkling, the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than of able. All right, fourthly, jot this down, active community. You see all of the shared space in heaven, the innumerable host. You see the general assembly of the church. This is the first time that the church is all gathered in one place. Uh, We believe in the local church, local visible bodies, representatives of Jesus Christ in every community. But in this moment, for the first time, there is the community, and we see this gathering that Christ himself will assemble. And so there is a clear, consistent sense of community. If you hold out on worship, you're out of step and ill-prepared for heaven. If you hold out on Christian community, you're missing much of what heaven is. If you were to strip away worship and community, I don't know how much is left of what the Bible indicates about heaven. Those are central, other than Jesus Christ, the Lamb, the Father, the Spirit. They are the hub around which everything is revolving. And so community is is forefront uh, in, its, in its activity uh, in uh, this heavenly city. And one of the things I often, you've probably heard this too, you know, what's a pastor, if I were to ask you, what's the pastor's number one job? What is it? And you may have things, you know, preach better than you do, okay, or whatever. Um, but it, often the running joke, and, and I mean this totally just half tongue-in-cheek, is the pastor's primary job is to keep the sheep from killing each other. That's my job, Okay. No, back off a little bit. You calm down and let's see if we can figure something out here. That's just part of the dynamic. One of the things I love about this community versus the community that we're in in this church or the church you're visiting from today, notice the end of verse 23. I love this. And to the spirits of just men, all right, there's the positional standing we have in Christ made perfect. You know what's awesome about this community that we don't have here now is the community is between perfect people. The things that rub us wrong and we rub others wrong, all that is gone and we're able to have community in ways we can only dream of and probably can't even think of in this life. The things that just get us off with family and other believers, all that is stripped away and we have open, authentic, perfect community all because Jesus is at the center of that community. And So that's what we have to anticipate uh, in Jesus Christ. So if all of these activities can and need to be prepared for, Uh, then we need to be a part of that in the here and now. Don't be caught flat-footed by opting out of one of these four, resting, worshiping, serving, experiencing community, uh, because each of us are only a breath away from heaven. Um, The other day I heard this. I think this is a good way to summarize our second point today. The author said this, life is too short. I don't know if you feel life is short or not, but I I tend to agree with this assessment. Life is too short, too precious, too painful to waste on worldly bubbles that burst. Heaven is too great. Hell is too horrible. Eternity is too long. Listen to this. 
that we should putter around on the porch of eternity. And I'm telling you, we're all there. We're just one step from this place. Stop puttering. Tell me the same. Prepare. Be ready. I, I, I want to step into what God's going to have me do and be. That means I have to live in light of it today. Would you be willing uh, to do the same? All right, so heaven is first. It's a place that's geographical. It's in a real place. Number two, it is active, and we see some of those listed. Thirdly and lastly, it is exclusive. And let's spend a few moments here because this would be the, the encouraging but also the sobering realities of um, this place. Heaven is exclusive. Um, I don't know if any of you are working and praying that your kids will become, you know, some gifted adult that you can, you know, they'll support you into your, your ripe old age uh, and uh, then you remember they're related to you. But anyway, you, you hope for that and you look for that intelligence. Um, but do you ever have where you're like, my kids, I know I have the bumper sticker that they're honor student, but they're, they're idiots. I just, if I'm honest, they're just, what are you, what are you talking about? Sorry, Ian, he's back here like, not, not us, other parents. I never think this, okay? But anyway, you just, what are you thinking? And I, I've had a few where they've said that to me as well, to be fair. And you just, you just start laughing like, I don't know where that came from. That was just a, that was a foolish thought. The other day I saw a friend of mine posted this. All right, listen to this story. This morning he said, my son said his ear hurt. And I said, on the inside or the outside? That was the question. So my son walks out the front door. You know where this is going comes back in and says, both. That's his response. To which my friend said, moments like this have me wondering if I'm saving too much for his college education. <laughs> Baby, I'm saving too much. Both. Um, can I just tell you as it relates to exclusivity, not only are there some colleges that your kids and grandkids, no matter how bright they are, probably are not going to get into, this is also a place that's exclusive. And one of the greatest heirs of heaven our doctrine of it is we make it, we make the gates too wide. We make it too accessible or too generic in a way that the Word of God never, ever teaches. So we'll talk about that in just a moment, the negative side, but here would be the positive side. I think the reason we're not more excited about this place, listen to me, is because we do not fully appreciate how little we deserve to be in it someday. I don't deserve to enter these, these gates. I don't have a great answer for St. Peter, as we always have described to us. I don't have an answer. All I have is God has been gracious to me. And so the exclusiveness of heaven uh, increases our appreciation for it, that we get to be a part of it when we deserve to be excluded from it. And so this final point this morning that we'll spend a few more moments on is not just to satisfy our curiosity, it's to increase our appreciation for it and to motivate us to share the message that alone gives them a way into this place, which is Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. All right, let's talk about some things that will be there. So these are things that exclusively are in heaven that you can't find in any other city, you can't find with any other God. No one else promises and delivers on things uh, that we see listed. Go back to chapter 21 of Revelation, and if you would quickly look at verse number 11, Revelation 21 again. In verse number 11, let's just break down a few things that are found in heaven exclusively that make it so special and unique uh, for us. Revelation 21, verse 11, and I, I tried to select the verses strategically, at least give us an overview of the city. Verse 11, having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone, most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Go down to verse 18, and the building of the wall of it was of jasper. The city was pure gold, like unto glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth chrysoprasus, the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. The first thing that will be there, jot this down, exquisite beauty and priceless wealth. It is just, it's mind-boggling, this exquisite beauty and the priceless wealth. It is mind-boggling. 
And it's likely that John's vision here, he's striving. I'm not saying they aren't actually these things. I'm not necessarily counting that, but at least in verse 11, he says, even like a jasper stone. Paul, uh, John is stretching for the most precious things he can think of to try to capture what his eyeballs are seeing, what God is revealing to him about this heavenly city. And he reaches for the most beautiful and the most priceless uh, metaphors and descriptive uh, words to use. And so the splendor of heaven, I'm telling you, will exceed anything young people that the world can offer you today. Adults, it, it will exceed anything that you can sell your soul for in this present life. It is what is excellent. It is what is uh, transcendent. It is worth the wait. And so maybe we'd be willing to anticipate by valuing this place. All right, then chapter 22 and verse number 1. So you have the exquisite beauty, the priceless wealth. Number two, look if you will in chapter 22 and verse 1. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. I love all the clarity that we see, maybe my OCD tendencies, but all the, the, the cleanness and the purity, the, all the contaminants are refined out. Out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, uh, verse 2, in the midst of the street in it, uh, of it and on either side of the river were the tree of life, uh, which bare 12 men of fruits and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Number two, there is the river and tree of life. So exquisite beauty and priceless wealth. Num wealth number two, the river and tree of life. This pure river of water that flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and I didn't mention it earlier, but it's interesting that several times you see, again, to counter the idea of heaven someday for us is out there, that the throne of the Lamb and of God is here. Uh, we see that referenced again here in verse number two. And so God is taking up abode with us, not just Jesus on the throne during the millennial kingdom, but God is coming to us. And we see in this setting, there is the river and the tree of life. On either side of the river grows this tree of life. And I think it's, it's used in the singular sense. How's a tree grow on both sides? It probably is, it's, it's a, 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 um, a large portion of them. It's a grove of them, and, and they're available to each of us. And we see that this gives to us this variety, 12 kinds of fruit. We have access to a tree that we have not had access to since the beginning of time, right? When the cherubim uh, was put in place to keep Adam and Eve from the tree of life. And so we see again, we have access and his provision, his healing. All of this is ours through the river and tree of life. All right, go back to chapter 5 of Revelation, verse 11. What else is in heaven? So exquisite beauty and wealth, river and tree of life. Chapter 5 of Revelation and verse number 11. Revelation 5, verse 11. And, and I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them who, the angels, was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Thirdly, there are angels in heaven. We studied on them a few weeks ago. Um, can you think about this for a moment? We ourselves we today in this room will one day associate with angels who have faithfully served and worshiped the Lord since their creation. Don't you think that might just add a bit to our worship? That we're worshiping with those who have literally been there to be an audience, as I talked about. Remember the analogy of sports without fans? God says, I don't want to play out my will without people watching. And the angels have served in that role now for thousands of years, and they've had a front row seat, if you will, on the bleachers watching all that God has done, and we will merge with them in worship of God. Um, I was thinking today, I don't know if I've realized I do this, you ever had something that you, you do and then you realize why you do it after years of doing it? And I noticed that on Sundays, I'm very careful to drink my, I have a cup of coffee in my car holder and then in my office, and I will drink it off to the side. Like I'll, you know, kind of lean over and drink it. And the reason is because I always tend to spill it on myself. I don't think I've really realized how far I lean or how careful I am or why I do that. If you saw me doing it, you'd think I was weird or something. But I just, I'm always spilling it on me. The other day, someone was talking about how their pitch changes if their coffee is spilled. Here's what he says. He said, I typically sing baritone, but I extend my vocal range to a soprano during a coffee spill. It just, it goes up a notch or two, Okay. When the call, ah, oh, you know, and then all that goes with that. Can I ask you to think about this for a moment? What are the typical parts in a choir? A lot of us have been a part of a church choir or school choir or something of that nature. Some of us against our will, maybe. But you typically have four-part harmony, right? Maybe you throw in a baritone, but soprano, alto, uh, tenor, and bass, and maybe a few other 
uh, first, if you will. Have you thought about this? Not only will we sing maybe in four-part harmony, soprano, alto, tenor, and bass, angel. Isn't that amazing to think about? Uh, Sir, I see on here five parts. What's the fifth part? The angels. They're going to sing that part. Isn't that amazing to think about? We will sing with angels. Um, That's a glorious thing to anticipate. Don't allow this world and its celebrities and its pop culture to convince you that the heroes of our day and the people we can sing along with in our day are worth selling out for what someday we will experience. All right, go back to chapter 19 of Revelation. I I wish we could unpack that further. Revelation 19 and verse 1. So there is beauty and wealth, river and tree of life, angels are there. Revelation 19.1, notice, and after these things I heard a great voice. What are the next three words? Of much people. Fourthly, there are people there. I heard the great voice of much people. One of the greatest joys of heaven will be the reunion, will it not? With loved ones who have preceded us or those even that follow us. If we are next on the list of God's for our family. And all of the widows and widowers in the room say amen to that, don't they? What a glorious reunion that's going to be. Paul reminds us that we are to sorrow, but not as those who have no hope. What is our hope? It's this right here. That people are in heaven, people that precede us, and people who follow us who are in Christ, there will be this great reunion. I would also broaden that out a bit to say this. We also will be reunited with Christians we've never met. Um, my great-grandfather, I don't know much about him at all. I know my name it kind of was passed down, and I got a bit of that, but I've never met him. If he knew Christ, someday I'll, I'll enter into that. Let's go further back. Um, Moses, you know, I mean, just I mean, throw out a name of some David. Uh, there is, heaven will not be boring, okay? It's not going to be a downer. It's going to be the most amazing, uh, expanding experience of relationship and rejoicing with people we've ever experienced. So angels, secondly, or fourthly here, we see people. All right, next, chapter 21 and verse 3. What else is in heaven? This would be the high water mark of what is in heaven, and I love this, this verse again. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Do you see that? With, with, with. Lastly, God's presence. The last and most glorious element of heaven, of things that will be there exclusively, is God's presence. Remember we talked about hell two weeks ago? What's the most hideous, gut-wrenching reality of hell? It's not the fire, it's not the darkness, it's not, it's, it's, I'm without the presence of God. The thing my very core of my being so craves, I do not have access to that, and I know it for all of eternity. In contrast, in the glorious light of heaven, we see that God is with his people. And he uses the word tabernacle. Um, Again, to try to counter heaven in a mystical sense in our minds, um, tabernacle meant something to the average Jew as they thought about seeing the physical cloud, the physical pillar of cloud and fire. God will be present with us. He will be in the camp. We will be in him. There's a, a closeness and proximity that I think will take our breath away of how close we are to God and how close God is to us in a way that clothed in this present body we cannot experience. And so God's presence. Now, I think a word of application on that, because I think if you're honest today, and if I'm honest, heaven tends to be about me. Um, And what it tends to be is earthly comforts that have eluded me for all of life, or I no longer have access to, freedom of body, of mind, of limb, things that I'm hampered by, that heaven is basically just getting all of that stuff for me. And what we often do with heaven is we co-opt it and we make it about us. What I want in my presence, what I don't want in my presence, instead of heaven is where God is. Heaven is about God's presence. And so may we always remember that the most glorious thing that is in heaven uh, is the presence of God. It's no thing, it's no feeling, it's not even the people we miss today and we hope to see again someday. Ultimately, it's Jesus. Ultimately, it is God. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. There will be a reunion with loved ones, but here's what it's going to probably look like, something to this effect. Man, I'm glad to see you. 
Let's go see him together. That, that's the vibe. It is going to be about him. The streets of gold, the only reason they're amazing is not the gold, it's that they lead to him. Um, the tree of life, it's because he's giving us life and healing. It's all about him, from him, for him, and to him. That is what will be in heaven. Now, heaven's not just glorious because of what is there. It's also glorious because of what's not there. Let's talk for a few minutes lastly about what will not be uh, in this glorious place of heaven. Um, one of the things that I find uh, hilarious and yet kind of aging is um, phones. If you notice how phones have digressed or progressed, whichever, however you view that, but like some of you are of the rotary phone era as I am, um, and the other day I saw this, this was a, this is classic art that just, this is a picture of um, someone who's taken old phones and the, all the, their sheep, they've taken the cords from the phones and wrapped those figures. And this is a reminder of the ancient days of, of civilization history. It was something to that effect. Was I'm like, I lived during this period. I, I've been to the Smithsonian where they have camcorders that I used in high school that are now signs of ancient history. Um, can I just tell you today as it relates to the things that we have had and we've experienced and we've gone through, that not only do things become outdated in heaven, listen to me, they become eliminated. They're not just outdated in a museum somewhere off one of the side streets of heaven. They're eradicated. They're, they're eliminated to be no more. And things we've grown so accustomed to and familiar with that bother us and hinder us, all of that is going to be gone in this place. And literally, I think there will be such a liberty and freedom in ways we didn't even realize how that burdened us down. Can we talk about this for a few minutes as we finish? Look here in chapter 21 of Revelation, verse 4. What is nixed? What is eliminated from the equation in our experience with God? Verse 4, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Let's go through these as we finish today. Number one, there's no sorrow. No sorrow. Can we even grapple with that? Can we even fully absorb that today? You probably had a bad day this past week or a bad week or a bad moment, and sorrow is almost, we just expect it on the backside of an up moment. No sorrow, not one sorrowful moment, not one shed tear. We are free of sorrow. Why? Look at the middle of verse 4, and there shall be no more death. Number two, jot this down, no death. Um, one of the things I often hear <clears throat> And I've learned this because I've been involved with them enough to learn this. You ever been, you go to a calling hours or a funeral of someone and you know the deceased or you didn't, you know the person you're visiting and you don't know what to say. Can I encourage you, if you don't know what to say, just don't say anything. Just, I'm praying for you. We love you. We're pulling, if we can do anything. Um, but one of the things I often hear that those that maybe callously are around death a lot or don't know what to say is they will say something to this effect. Well, you know... Death is a natural part of life. Can I give you my response to that? Eh, nope. Death is not a natural part of life. We've just gotten used to it. Death was never intended for us. Death was never to be a part of. It was a, it was a, a warning. And so someday we will, for the first time, have no death shadows looming over us. The long, dark shadows of death are gone. Uh, what a glorious thing to anticipate in this place. There'll never be a funeral in heaven. No one's going to get into that line of work. There's, there's, there's no work. There, there's no opportunity. There's no burdens that go in that area. It is free of death. What a glorious thing to anticipate. All right, verse 5. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Thirdly, this might be reading between the lines just a bit, but I think it's here. No boredom. There's a newness to this. And the the, verbs that you, the verb that's used here is, is not the same as the new heaven previously referenced where there's a singular moment. It's an ongoing effect, this newness. It's ever-expanding. Um, I don't know if you ever thought about heaven. One of the things I often hear about heaven that is a concern is I'm going to be bored there. We're just going to do the same thing. And there's not even a change of the day. It's just one day. And, and man, how, how are we going to process that? One author I was reading said this, will not our, he answers that question, will not our state of perfection in heaven be rather boring and unsatisfying in its situation? To which he responded, frustration and boredom occur within this life whenever development is arrested at a finite point, so a fixed point, stopping short of perfection. The stable situation in heaven is not a fixed state short of one's goal, 
but a state of completion beyond which there can be no advance. So we're not, if, if perfection bores you, then yeah, you're going to be bored. <laughs> but I think often our boredom is not because we're in a fixed state. It's because we're, we're not where we want to be or where we know we should be. In heaven, it is just perfect. And it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. All right, chapter 21, if you will, look down at verse 22. A few more here as we finish. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Uh, fourthly, there is no temple. There, there's no edifice that we go to meet with God. God is the temple. We are with Him. We need no earthly dwelling place of God uh, because we are dwelling with God. Verse 23, And the city had no need of sun, neither of moon, to shine in it. Next, there's no sun or moon. That's kind of interesting to think about, isn't it? Um, in that second heaven that we referenced a moment ago is currently the sun and the moon. And in this place, there's no need for outside light. God is the light of that city. Jesus is the light of that city. Uh, verse 25, And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, uh, for there shall be no night there. We'll get to that in just a moment. Next, there's no fear. No fear. Why close the gates? There's no threats. The city is secure. Let's just leave them open. Um, one of the things that I have struggled with, and I don't know if this is the correct connection, but at least what I'm working through in my mind, is when I see that schematic of the eastern half of the United States is the city, well, how in the world do we get everybody that's ever known Christ as Savior into that square? That, that, does that come through your brain when you see that? The gates of the city seem to at least indicate that there's some in and out flow. Um, and some of the activities and some of the things we're engaged in are not just within the square, but as representatives of God outside of that square in that city. And so there's no fear of outside threats. Everyone on the inside and outside is not a foe, but a friend. The liberty and freedom that comes with that. Um, I don't know if you lock your doors or not, your car or your house. We do. And maybe you do or don't. I think those who don't, we may say at this point you're, you're naive maybe, or you're just kind of living in a different age, but I think primarily all of us, we lock the, the doors of this church building. Is that unkind of us? Is that being, you know, stay out? Someday we just, just open her wide up, you know? There's not even mosquitoes to sneak in. There's no, I mean, just the things that we've grown so accustomed to, all of that uh, is gone. All right, then as we read a moment ago, the end of verse 25, there's no night there. Next, there's no night. For some of you, the most difficult moments of every week are those Eight hours or so, ten hours, aren't they, when the sun drops and you're lonely and you're depressed and you're discouraged and you're fearful. There's coming a day where there's no night. It's just one eternal day. No night. No night whatsoever. Next, if you will, look at verse 27. One of my favorite ones in this list of things that are not there. And there shall in no wise enter in anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. There is no sin in this place called heaven. Which, by the way, the fact there's no sin is the only reason all these other things are not there as well. Sorrow, death, and the list goes on and on. And so God frees us of that sin. What a glorious moment that will be. Free to just follow him without those fleshly constraints. All right, verse 2. A couple more, we're done. Verse 2 of chapter 22. It says uh, in verse, the end of the verse, talking of the tree of life, the leaves of the tree are for, for the healing of the nations. Next, there's no ill health or illness. No illness there. Um, there's no, sorry, I'm going to have to miss that gathering at your little mansion because I'm under the weather. Like, I'm serious. Those are the kind of things we've grown so accustomed to. Well, I'm sure we'll be missing a few. I mean, today we're missing a few that are under the weather. It's just a part of the deal. There's coming a day where you're going to be there. There's no excuse. You can't opt out with calling in sick. You can't. We don't get sick here, buddy. Come on, just show up. You know, that, that's kind of the, that's the vibe of this place. There is no uh, ill health. And so for those of you battling illness, can I just remind you, though it's not easy and it may go on for a bit yet, it will end, right? Whatever you're facing and battling on the illness front and irreversibly, at least it feels, it will be reversed in a demonstrative way. You will be free from it in this place. All right, one more. Chapter 22, and if you will, the end, or beginning of verse 3, and there shall be no more curse. Lastly, there is no curse. And in this new creation, God reverses all the tragedies that sin has brought to us, his original creation, the old heaven and earth, plunged into judgment, 
Now the new heaven and new earth that glisten with perfection and glisten with all that God initially intended uh, for those that he created. Um, I heard this the other day. I think this is good as it relates to heaven and what's there and what's not there. Um, because we've all sinned, right? We don't deserve this place and all the things that are there and the things that aren't there. But an author said this, hell will be populated by people who insist they were good enough for heaven. Heaven will be populated by people who insist they were bad enough for hell. And I think one of the glorious things about this place is when we're there and as we're looking around, we'll remember, I do not deserve this. I do not deserve to be in this place and it will only enhance our relationship with the Lord. Can I remind you as it relates to this exclusive thing, heaven is not the final resting place for everyone and everything. You do know that, right? We do not, the Bible does not teach the universal fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man, that we're all sinners. We need Jesus to be in this place. And it would cease to be heaven if anything else were the case, would it not? If God just let people cut corners and fudge their way into this place, it would taint the very place that we so anticipate. So the question today is, are you in? Are you headed to this place? And is everybody you know at least aware of what it takes to be in? Or are you on the outside looking in? God gives you uh, an invitation this morning. All right, let's end today in Hebrews. Would you go there for a moment? Chapter 11 and verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. And as you're turning there, I wanted to read this brief article I think captures the spirit of our study today. An author I respect wrote an article called Kingdom of Heaven and the Kingdom of Space. You notice that our billionaires have been taking space travels lately. Listen to this, this article. I think this is good. Back in the 1950s, humanity entered into the great age of space exploration as the United States and the Soviet Union battled to be the first to the moon. Some debate whether that happened or not still. We won't open that can of worms today. It seems to me that we are now entering into a second great age of space exploration as billionaires battle, for it, battle it out to see who can be the first to establish a permanent outpost in space. We don't have to push our minds too hard to imagine a scenario in which one of these billionaires announces he has established a new nation somewhere beyond Earth. We might imagine him making an announcement and saying the world is falling apart, the Earth is collapsing under the weight of war and epidemic and pollution, so we're going to start over. We're going to be putting out a call to help humanity 2.0. Join me as I found the kingdom of space. Then he says this, let me present you with two visions for humanity, and each of us have to choose which we will follow. Let us imagine that our billionaire is ready to blast off to begin his kingdom of space. He has chosen the cream of the human crop to accompany him, and now together they are parading toward the great ship that will take them to their new nation. At the head of the parade is our billionaire himself. He sits tall, proud, resplendent in an open-roof limousine. The crowds cry out their praise to this champion among men. It's a parade of the powerful and the beautiful, the wealthy and the accomplished, the influential and the formidable. The crowd stands and applauds as these great people parade by, and soon enough they rise to the stars to found their new nation. But what they don't know is that their kingdom, too, will end. For though it may be a kingdom beyond the bounds of this earth, it is still within the kingdom of this world. Their medals and scepters and money and trophies and everything else they cling to, everything else they count as a credential, will rust and decay and turn to dust. But now let's watch a second march, the author says. Let's watch as the citizens of the kingdom of heaven pass by. As the head of them all comes uh, the humble, the ones who can barely lift their faces, but can say only, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Their hands are empty. Next come people whose eyes are red with mourning over their sin and uh, sinfulness. They too have empty hands. Some of them limp by on crutches. Some rule by in wheelchairs. Behind them are ones who are meek and ones who have waged a lifelong battle to become holy. Watch now as people pass by who dedicated their lives to extending mercy to the overlooked and marginalized, then people whose hearts and hands have remained pure in a world that tempted them so sorely. And see the ones who brought peace where there was conflict and ones who stood strong even when they were hated and beaten. See how among them there are representatives from every nation, every tribe, and people in tongue. See how they have empty hands. See how each of them wears just a simple white robe unadorned by medals or ribbons or regalia. Now listen to these words. 
The author concludes with this, last of all comes a simple man, all alone, who looks despised and rejected. He has no form or majesty that we should look at him, no great beauty that we should desire him. He comes in the form of a servant. He is humble and lowly and riding on a donkey. Look carefully and you will see his hands and feet are deeply wounded, that blood uh, runs down his forehead from where thorns have been pressed into it. Listen to the crowds as they raise their voices to jeer and hiss and boo. But look again. Look closer. Look with eyes of faith and you will see that as he passes by, he is utterly transformed. Look and see that this lowly servant has become a king, a warrior whose name is faithful and true. See that his lowly colt has become a mighty white horse, that his crown of thorns has become the crown of a king, the king. That the crowd suddenly fall their faces before him, seeing that as he passes by, he turns and looks you in the eye and opens his mouth and says, follow me. And so, my friend, if you've not already done so, hear his call, heed his welcome, receive your citizenship, take your place in his march, and follow him into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that has now begun, but which will never, ever end. Which march are you on today? Are you marching trying to get free of this world by the, the contrivings and the manipulations of man? Or are you following the man Christ Jesus? You have to choose. Which kingdom are you all about? Now look here in Hebrews 11 and we'll pray. Verse 16. After describing these great heroes of the faith, in verse 16 it says this, But they now desire a better country, that is, notice this, and heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. What city are you looking for? Who's building it? And the ultimate question, is it God? I heard a pastor pray this over his church just recently, and it resonated with me greatly. Listen to these words. As this pastor prayed over his people, and I pray this as well for you, may their dreams be greater than their memories. May the dreams of God's people be greater than our memories. There's more out in front of us than we could ever go back and enjoy that's behind us. May the dreams of God's people be greater than our memories. Will you choose today to fully understand and live in light of heaven's geography, activity, and exclusivity? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word.